So now let's turn our attention to God's word, to Psalm 115. Uh, Let's hear together what the Lord has for us today. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever, he, uh, whatever pleases him. But their idols, their idols are silver and gold made with human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses that cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. And feet that cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and so we give him thanks and praise. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to come together around your word to know that you have given us your heart. It's contained in your word if we would but seek it. Come to know you more and more through it. Lord, we pray that you would be present with us by the power and working of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, you would be glorified and honored in this space and time. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, open our minds that would come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Then we ask, oh God, in response, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in a series of meetings recently, and, and uh, the, the, the meetings were, were difficult and challenging, and we were dealing with some intricate matters, and, and at the end of it, there was the meeting after the meeting. Do you, do you know about those? Uh, either the hallway or the parking lot or maybe the text stream. I mean, something you, you could like relate to your corporate world, the meeting after the meeting. I was in the meeting after the meeting, and I just uh, got caught up and I was lingering until I was one of the last, the very last two people there. Have you ever been one of the last two? So I was one of the last two people there, and the person that was there with me turned to me and said, Jason, you were made for this. That, that seemed like a 
like a, a, a fairly grand statement because what I was feeling the entire meeting and in the meetings after the meeting was uh, a grand insufficiency. Like I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? Uh, and, and sometimes you feel like you're just faking it till you make it. And then someone says you made it and you're like, ha, fooled you. Um, or maybe there was something at work in you or in me that's able to, uh, to supply us with gifts according to the measure of need that's before us. So I began to wonder, what am I made for? What are you made for? What are you made for? And we know that, that each and every person here has specific glorious gifts that, that, that are, are worthy of celebration and giving praise and honor to the one from whom they derive. And, and we know that at the body, we are part of one body. And as a body, we have many members and each member has a function and the Lord is going to use us for these functions. And so when I ask you, what are you made for? You might still be saying, I'm still figuring that out. Or you might be saying, there's this gift that I've been given, and I'm made to use that. There, there are individual gifts, and there are things that we're individually made for, but there's also like this grand corporate uh, 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 creation that we share in. And, and I want you to know each and every person has been made for something uh, that, that is not unique to you, but is held in common one with another. You could, you could look around the room and you could think to yourself, everyone here has been made for this. You and I, we have been made to worship. We've been made to worship, which means that we have the capacity to know and understand the one uh, that we worship and, and why we worship him. And we have uh, the ability to be in relationship with him such that, that we can uh, uh, offer our attention, our devotion, our worship to him. How do I know that we were made for worship? Because you and I will worship whether or not we're worshiping God. We will always find something or someone to worship. You're like, oh, okay, I see where we're going. Yes, you, you and I will find something or someone to worship. And, and so when, whenever we draw in a little bit closer here, we start to wonder, what is it? that we worship. You were made to worship. My buddy Ben Trammell uh, grew up at Lakewood Methodist Church over in Cyprus, Jones and, and, uh, and Luetta. And uh, he remembers in, in the early 90s, he's eighth or ninth grade, and he goes to worship. And uh, it's sanctuary service, traditional uh, UM service. Uh, and he remembers the prelude that morning and, you know, the organ, boom, 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 and the pipes are rattling and everybody's like, yeah, we're going to worship. And uh, is that, that's how it goes, right? And, uh, and so 
And so the organ plays the prelude, and then they, they stand and they sing the hymns from the hymnal, and, and, uh, and, and they all are kind of uh, corporately worshiping together. And then after the, the hymns, the, the choir sings an anthem, and, and they have their robes uh, with their little V collars, and, and there's always the dude that has it backwards. Like, how, like, you are in the choir, learn which direction the V goes. And, and so uh, he's remembering and recalling this circumstance. And then the pastor gets up to preach the sermon and he opens the Bible to a book that's not often open to of the Bible on Sunday mornings. And it's Revelation chapter 4, hmm, verse 8. And, it, and he begins to read, day and night, they never stopped worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the pastor uh, closed his Bible, prayed, and began to proclaim. And, and the, the pastor said, brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Hear the good news. What we are doing right now, this, this thing that we've experienced with the organ and the hymnal and the choir and the preaching, the scripture says we get to do that forever. Now remember, he was an eighth or ninth grade boy, and all of a sudden it struck him, if this is what it is forever, I... Like... Like, I don't know if that's what forever should look like. And Ben was telling me this story, and I was like, hey, Ben, but what if it was like, like a rock band? What if it was contemporary Christian worship? He was like, no. Do you remember the 90s? We tried it. I could sing of your love forever. Right? Like, like and we sang I could sing of your love forever? Forever. We really did. Like, it, it, was, it was 20 minutes of the same line. And, and so if you begin to imagine your preacher coming to worship and saying, look, this is the thing that will be eternal. And you're like, man, I really love, like, football. Or I really love hanging out with my friends. Or, like, there's a lot of things you could tell me I'm going to do forever. But this organ, hymnal, choir, I could sing of your love for everything. Ah, and that's because we have a totally like messed up, like constrained view of what worship is. We, we have this idea that worship is in this place at this time for a certain particular length of time. And if it goes over, we have some problems. Uh, and, and it does this certain thing. It goes in this certain order. It has this predictable rhythm. It's, it, it's, it's dependable in this way. And it can be isolated to one hour, but not at covenant, 65 to 70 minutes. If you've ever been wondering, 65 to 70 minutes on Sunday is the target. So if I go over 70, then like give me the stank, right? But, uh, but you know, some of y'all looking, especially when we have guests, boy, it rolls around to 60 minutes and they're like, like answering around. I'm like, hey, covenant 65 to 70 minutes. All right, I'm, ba I'm back, I'm back. So... So we have this view of worship that it's this thing that's done in this place and this time for a certain length of time. But that's not a biblical view of worship. That's not an eternal view of worship. 
And we need to break our minds open so that we could receive this glorious image of worship that goes so much deeper and so much further beyond that constrained vision. And in order to do that, one of the things the psalmist uh, orients us in here is is the differentiation between uh, what worship is when you are worshiping God and what worship is when you are worshiping an idol. And and the psalmist is trying to move the people of God from worship for uh, from idolatry for worship. And so this this movement is is very important for us today as it has been important for every generation before us. And most commonly idolatry is the worship of something that is not worthy of that worship. Well, that helps to clear things up because I'm not worthy and you're not worthy and, and the things that we oftentimes find ourselves worshiping, they're, they're not worthy. And so idolatry is worshiping a thing that is unworthy of worship. There's only one that is worthy of our worship and that is the Lord God Almighty. And so when you set up this parallel, this, this, this system of evaluation, what is worthy and what is not, it, oftentimes our idols today, our idols are activities or ideas. Our idols are oftentimes people. Our idol is most often ourselves. Activities, ideas, people, self. Most common idols, I think, for us today. But There's one other form of idol that the author of the psalm is particularly inviting us to consider, and that is stuff, things. And so I want us to actually like dive into that in a a moment of, of reflection. I want you to consider what thing have I lifted up into the place of idol in my life? What stuff have I established as an idol? I'm giving you enough time to actually think, right? Self-evaluation, self-reflection. Where in my life have I elevated something or some stuff to a position or place of idol? How would I know? Are you devoted to it? Is your attention focused on it? Not only when you're with it, but when you're not? Do you spend your resources on it? Where are you placing your energy? What thing, what stuff has become an idol in your life? Now, for some of us, it's going to be something that that we depend on, we think. We think that this thing we depend on, and and so for some of us, we might have begun to think about that thing that is always everywhere with us. 
You know, uh, we, we, were, we were sitting uh, at, at, at the, the island uh, at our house the other day, and my wife Lauren had her phone out on, on, the, on the counter, and uh, we all had just eaten, so our drinks were still there. My beautiful, lovely 18-year-old daughter, Addison, uh, was gesturing as she was talking, and... You know, the, you know the drill. The drink goes, phew. And where does it go? It doesn't go on a napkin. It doesn't go just on the floor. Uh, it doesn't go into the sink. It goes right onto my wife Lauren's phone. Well, well what do you think whenever that happens? Sometimes you think, um, we're going to talk with our daughter. <laughs> Sometimes you think about how much it's going to cost, but, but really what has begun to go into our minds in our home whenever we have had our phones damaged is this idea, what am I going to do, how am I going to function between now and when it gets repaired? Because... We have created our lives, ordered our lives, such that we believe that we depend on our phones. And the Burnhams are the only ones I could tell. So um, some of the other things that we might, uh, some of the ways that we might be able to determine whether or not we have an idol of things or stuff might be the ways in which we hold something with value. We identify it as being particularly, uniquely valuable. Oftentimes, that's found in the way we value our homes. Not always. Some of you, eh, whatever, it's a house. Some of you are like my friend Jamie, who once a week on Fridays, after she dropped her boys off at school, she took out the can of touch-up paint and went around the entire house and touched up the house paint every single Friday. Some of you aren't laughing because that's you. That's all right. That's a bless you as well as I bless my friend Jamie, right? This is like, where do you place value? And, 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 and what things do you hold that value so tightly that your attention, your focus, your energy, your effort, your desire, your money is all there? And for some of us, it's our homes, or other things we place value in. What is that thing or that stuff that you have elevated to a position of idol in your lives? Others of you, as you thought, you thought of that thing that brought you into connection with a memory or a person or a moment. You thought of that thing that you could not imagine not keeping forever. Maybe it belonged to your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband. And that heirloom has taken on an identity so much greater than what its actual physical value is and you have elevated it to a whole different place in your life. 
As the psalmist uh, describes uh, the connection that we have all too often with things and stuff, uh, the the psalmist wants us to, to, to get clear, to order our attention on the differentiation between God and things. And, and it's all in the framework of, of, of the culture that the psalmist is writing in and the culture that uh, continues on through Jesus' day and beyond. You know, you think of, uh, you think of the people of God as, as they left Egypt and, and, and were saved through the sea, and then they enter into the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, uh, Moses goes up, meets with the Lord. The Lord is giving Moses direction. And while he is gone for, a, oh, too short a period of time, or maybe too long because of what took place, the people of God do what? They take off their earrings. They take off their rings. They go and get their plates and their cups, anything that is made of metal, and they, they liquidate that metal, and they craft a golden calf, a physical representation of another God so that they had something to worship. Paul describes a similar reality in in the book of Acts chapter 17. He is ministering uh, all across his missionary uh, um, journeys and he comes to Athens and while he's in Athens, uh, he, he has opportunities to preach and to teach. But at very first, when he enters Athens, he evaluates the community that he's been called to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it begins in, in verse 16. We're going to read just three different pieces to show what Paul encountered there. Verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Okay, so he sees that there are idols in the marketplace, that there are idols in the homes, that there are idols in the temples, that everywhere he goes, from home to corporate worship settings, idols everywhere. And then in verse 22 and 23, He has opportunity to teach. Here's what he says. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Maybe God would say that to us as well. I see that you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are very ignorant of the thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he says, I've evaluated your community. I see idols in your homes, in your marketplaces, in your temples. I even found one that said that this is to an unknown God where you are identifying that you're directing your worship, but you don't understand the one that you want to worship. Maybe that's us as well with the things, the stuff we worship. Maybe it's just showing how we are made to worship. But when we misplace that worship, we are acknowledging that we actually don't know the one that we were made to worship. And then finally, 
verse 29 and 30, it says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands all people everywhere to repent. And so as the psalmist comes into this uh, ongoing testimony of God for the world, not just the people of God, and he says uh, there are these physical idols, these things, this stuff that, 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 that are made by human hands. But think how worthless actually they are. How they will decay, how they will rust, how they will deteriorate, how they do not have the lasting capacity that we wish they did. Think about your idols and here's how the psalmist frames it. He says, your idols, you could, you could craft them with hands, but they can't touch you. You could craft them with a mouth, but they can't say a word to you. You craft your idols with ears, but they don't hear you. You craft your idols with feet and legs, but they don't walk with you. And so, the psalmist's call to you and to me today is to know that we worship a living God. We worship a God who has a mouth, who gives words to us, who teaches us and leads us and guides us by his very voice. We have a God who has heard every single prayer of your heart and of your lips. We have a God. We have a God who sees you in the midst of your joy and your trouble, and he walks with you all along the way. We have a God who reaches out and touches your heart with the power and working of his Holy Spirit, saying to each and every one of you, I love you. I love you. I love you so much that I gave my son for you. And through his sacrifice and mine, I have made a way for us to be together forever. And that is worthy of worship. That is a God to worship. And so whatever idol comes to mind, whether it's a, a thing or stuff, whether it's people, activity, self, or idea, whatever idol comes to mind for you, I want you to know today that it is worthless. And those things have no lasting capacity. In fact, they lead to death. But we worship a living God who gives life to each and every one who call upon his name. May we worship him because he is worthy. And may we do it forevermore. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to know that you are moving and that you have your being amongst us, that, that, that you are with us, 
and that you call out to us and invite us into a relationship with you. So I pray, oh God, I pray that we would enter in, that we would respond, that our hearts, uh, that our hearts would be open to receive your grace and love. Lord, we, we are tempted daily, every day, to worship something else, someone else. Lord, we are here proclaiming they're not worthy, but you are. And so we seek to worship you all the days of our life and forevermore. As we continue in worship and enter into this time of offering, Lord, we pray that you would use these gifts for your glory, honor, and praise. And we also ask, oh God, that you would, that you would be glorified in the givers as well, that in our generosity, in the joy of giving something away, we would, we would be reminded of what it means to, to follow you. Lord, be glorified in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.